Hello and welcome to Move the Line, presented by FanDuel. With our promo code 444, new users can take advantage of FanDuel's risk-free first bets. Get up to $1,000 back if you don't win. You can download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Enter our promo code 444 and take advantage. I am Ryan Noonan, joined here, as always, by one of my friends and then one of my new friends. First, Connor Allen. What's going on, buddy? Uh, not much. Just another day, another division. You know, I think we had uh, had some good breakdowns. We, uh, you know, set the entire uh, city of Cincinnati on fire. Uh, well, actually, that was Daigle. That was not us. And, uh, you know, he was so butthurt about it. He took the week off. So, you know, he, he needed to recover. He did it to himself. He chopped up the he video mm-hmm. and decided to share. We have a team that does that. He was like, no, you know what? I'm not even going to do that. I'm not even going to pour into the resources that we have at 4 for 4. I'm going to go ahead and take it myself, put it out there. And it's one of those instances where like any publicity is good publicity you can make the case for. And I think that's what he talked himself into by the end of uh, last Thursday evening after his mentions kind of blew up. Uh, I mean, some of the, like the big beat writers in Cincy, the Cincy bubble kind of grabbed a hold of it and – uh, it was interesting. I don't know that his take was terrible. We kind of, he and I kind of disagreed on the show, uh, because I do think that like there's some regression there, but I also think that like there's banking on the young quarterback and all those things. But anyway, if you missed that, you can go back and listen to last week's show. This is uh, our third division preview. We have two in the bag, two of the best divisions, the AFC West and the AFC North from last week. We're going to stay in the AFC and the AFC East this week with our new addition to the team here at 444, one that Connor and I are very excited about to bring into the fold. Uh, he is one of the best um, NFL sides betters that I think is out there. Um, definitely underrated in the space. I think he's slowly starting to get the attention that he deserves. His process is tremendous. His writing about it is tremendous. And I think you're going to get a lot of value out of following Sharp Clark uh, this year over at 404. So Clark, what's going on, man? Welcome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk about some AFC East. The The picture of the NFL is clearing up and uh, I'm about ready for some football. <laughs> yeah, I know we talk about how this is this kind of feels like the start of football season for us when we're uh, starting to get into the division preview. So as Connor mentioned, Daigle is not with us this week. He is just so distraught that he had to uh, go to like one of the most beautiful places in North America and is in Banff and is golfing. And I'm really jealous uh, of where he is. Uh, but on the golf side, you're a degenerate. If you're listening to a football betting podcast in July, you're our people. Uh, and we really appreciate that. Uh, we also have a parent company, BetSperts. We have started a golf site there a few months ago, BetSpurtsGolf.com. Uh, if you like to bet and you like to bet golf, BetSperts Golf is a dollar per month from here until December. So I want to take advantage of the audience that we have here. Uh, go ahead and take a look. We have brand new tools. Get over there, break them. Uh, give us some feedback. Let us know how we can make things better. We are already in the process of doing so uh, to try to make that the best thing to uh, best thing out there. Betting on golf is a fantastic sport. If you are not uh, in the betting space or betting on golf, uh, you're missing out. There's a lot of great ways to bet it. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, we're available here. Uh, the show in both podcast form and then on YouTube, basically anywhere you can uh, find a podcast and then live on Wednesday nights uh, here on YouTube. So we appreciate any time you can uh, take the time to rate and review, uh, share the podcast, share the show, let others find us. Um, and then if you can join us live, we'd love to have you hop in the chat. Let us know your thoughts. Where we're wrong, you can blow us up live. Like, uh, you know, Daigle got blown up 
uh, on you know Thursday morning. You can hit us up live in the chat and let us know when we're wrong. So I'm excited to get into this, Clark. Before you really give us any of like the meat and potatoes of it, we tossed it to you as the guest to pick the the division this week. I and mean, I'm really intrigued by why you picked the AFC East. I think that the AFC East has some really interesting teams that that I think allow me to demonstrate a little bit about my process, which is probably new to a lot of the listeners. And so I picked the AFC East because it gives me a few talking points that I'm that I'm excited to talk about. Plus, it gave me a reason to watch a bunch of Zach Wilson tape leading up to it, and and that's got me excited. So, love it. Big week for Zach. Um, it's been going <laughs> been going very very well for Zach. All right, we'll jump into it. The AFC East this year, uh, from a scheduling standpoint, uh, plays the North. They play the uh, AFC North and NFC North, and the wonky 17 games uh, they are sharing uh, with the teams from the NFC West. So we'll start at the very top. The Buffalo Bills are kind of the bell of the ball. They are 6-1 and one to win the entire thing. They are 3.5-1 to one to win the AFC. 11.5 is the win total number for them. Uh, is juiced a little bit to the over at MGM. And then they are minus 185 on FanDuel to win this division. Uh, from a strength of schedule standpoint, they're kind of middle of the pack, though they do have, as we talked about on our schedule and rest show a couple months back that you can find, they have the largest rest differential in the league, which is noteworthy because uh, that does add up uh, in the season. So some continuity from a coaching standpoint, Although we have a new defensive coordinator, or I'm sorry, a new offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, is replacing Brian Dayball as the OC. Dorsey has been on the staff for the last three years as a quarterback coach. So I wouldn't anticipate a massive philosophy change. I'd be interested to get your guys' thoughts on this. But um, they'll continue to be a force in the passing game. They were third in pass rate over expectation last year. Continue to pay, play at pace as well. Uh, I'll let you get it started with Clark. They were ninth in situational neutral pace. Talk to me about the Bills. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> I expect continuity from the from the coaching staff, even though Brian Dayball is gone. What I love about the Bills, so, so they left 2021 as my number one ranked team in the whole NFL. Uh, after doing some offseason study, some, you know, matchups and, and strength of schedule analysis, they ended up number two, but still very, very high. And the thing that they have going for them is they do everything well. In today's NFL, we're seeing defenses shift to more safeties, more defensive backs, you know, cover, cover two shells, uh, two high shells. And as a result, teams that can't run the ball are going to struggle in those situations. But with Josh Allen at quarterback, they always have someone that can just run it down your throat if you don't put enough men in the box. And so they don't need a super talented running back to have a good running game because Josh Allen creates that. And then on his own reads and stuff, that also creates lanes for the other running backs. So they, they not only pass well, which is extremely important, but they also run well. I think that's going to serve them well in the long run. And then defensively, they were already one of the top teams in the NFL last year. They added Von Miller. They get Tredavious White back in the secondary from injury. There's no reason to think that this won't be the most balanced and complete roster in the NFL, and they are appropriately Super Bowl favorites, in my opinion. Hard to argue with that, Connor. They are favored in 17 – I'm sorry, 15 of 17 games. I think you have a, that Rams game – in week one, and then I think they're on the road in Kansas City again, a place where we obviously know that they are very familiar and have had some success uh, over the last couple of years. But uh, what's interesting to me too, 0-5 in one-score games last year. We know that typically stabilizes. This is a great football team that 
just think of a couple of games where you had that like sneak against Tennessee where like Josh Allen's foot slipped and fell and like that game can go, you know, very quickly. That changes probably the entire seating right of the AFC last year. Uh, what are your thoughts here on the Bills? Yeah, I, I'm not going to add too much to what you guys already said. I think that you guys summed up kind of their team outlook pretty well here. Um, but beyond that, like if I do want to bet this, I'm definitely not betting their Super Bowl right now. I'm definitely not betting their, you know, odds to win the division. I think that just generally betting the chalk with these with, with these like large field markets is not something that is smart. And beyond that, I mean, the AFC is just absolutely loaded. Uh, you know, like I think that any team from the AFC West can go toe to toe. Well, not any team, but I guess the top three teams can certainly go toe to toe with the Bills. Uh, you know, I think that there are some other teams in that in the conference as well that could potentially give them some issues in the playoffs. But as you mentioned, I mean, they're favored in 15 of 17 games. The other two games are a pick em. I think their win total 11 and a half is a little bit low. I mean, we're looking at some juice here, minus 130. Um, so if I had to take a stand on the Bills, I would probably play the over here. Uh, the only other kind of note here, and one of the guys who's been, you know, the most controversial, especially in the fantasy space, but I think is relevant too for like prop space, relevant for everything else, is uh, Gabriel Davis, uh, who obviously exploded in the playoffs there down the stretch. Week 14 on, uh, you know, averaged 74 yards per game, 26 receptions, scored nine touchdowns uh, through the playoffs, which is pretty incredible. Uh, I mean, right now, uh, Jay Skursky, we had him on our one of our other shows here. He's a Bills beat reporter. Said he has a firm grasp on the number two role uh, and is set to explode. I mean, he's still a young guy, so I think that his season long prop is kind of accounted for that. It's like eight seventy five, nine hundred most spots. Which, if you're betting on a guy that has never done it, has not shown much so far outside of that stretch, you know, you'd probably lean heavily towards the under. But at the same time, I think that his upside is massive, and so the weekly prop space on like his numbers are going to be something that I'm super interested in. Yeah, I mean, they, they've done some stuff to replace other positions uh, in the receiving core. Like, you know, Cole Beasley is out, so we had Jamison Crowder in here. They added the kid from Boise State in the fifth round, uh, Kalia Shakur. Like, he'll probably mix into the slot. But from, like, an outside situation, like, there's really no one else. So, like, Gabe Davis is coming, you know, walk into a, a massive role. They used a, a lot of 11 last year, um, 70% of the time. This is a team that uses – 10 personnel they run out of it a lot uh, but you know when you're going four receivers like that's going to get Gabe Davis on the field a lot more whereas last year even sometimes in those sets he wasn't finding himself on the field so it's hard to like I get it we haven't seen him do it yet so that feels like a big number that we'd probably just from a, a math standpoint probably lean under but there's so much to like here with like the pass rate over expectations and you know Josh Allen kind of this ascending offense so they're kind of they're kind of tricky um yeah, if Tredavious White can come back and not miss any time on Pup, Clark, I mean, I think that that's going to be uh, another reason I think they run back one of the really the best. I know defensive metrics aren't typically sticky from year to year, but like Connor was basically every week finding the whoever was playing the Bills quarterback, and we were like shorting shorting the under from them in the prop market. Um, the Von Miller stuff, like the past, I think they were fifth or sixth in um, pass rush win rate on the season. Like there's, and they have other guys. They have you know Boogie Bash, and they have a lot of other. Greg Rousseau from the draft last year. They have a lot of talent. Um, I saw you nodding your head when Connor said now's not the time to bet them from a future standpoint. Is there like a buy window at a certain part of the season for them? Is it just to get when they get to a number? Do you just kind of want to see them play some games? It might have been a nod of respect because I actually – so I have a Super Bowl future at plus 750 on them that I placed earlier in the, in the offseason. I wouldn't play it at 600 or 650. Because uh, like Connor was saying, it's, it's a crowded market. It's tough when you get those low odds. But they have an easier path than any of the other major competitors in the AFC 
because their division is easier. And we're going to get into that, you know, when we start talking about the other teams. But I think they have the easiest path to the one seed, home field, the bye. And because of all of that, I think they have a, a strong, they should be considered the strong favorites in the AFC, even though in a neutral field, I may have them very close to teams like the Chiefs. I think that their relative ease of schedule and situation is going to benefit them. I also think they make a great divisional bet because of all of the teams, of all of the divisions, I think the biggest gap between the number one team and the number two team in terms of talent is the Bills and whoever you would say is number two. So giving, getting only one minus, minus 185, I actually booked it at minus 180. I think it's really good value for a bet that should hit almost every time unless there's some major injuries. Um, so I actually think now is the time to bet the Bills. Well, Earlier in the offseason was the best time to bet the Bills, but um, I'm not afraid of back, backing them now because I think they have the easiest path. Yeah, I think that's a good call-out too. I mean, 185 is not something that we typically line up Connor to bet on, but like, I do think he makes a great point. Not only are we not in consensus probably who the second team is in this division, I think regardless, they're both, whoever it is, is pretty far off from where the Bills are. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I do remember correctly, I think we did it last year with Tampa though, right? Um, at one point, I think that they were around the same range, minus 170 to minus 200. Mm-hmm. And we were very much okay. Or at least I was with like laying down a couple units on that because I just felt like they were far and away, like the clear number one team. So, I mean, yeah, I guess I still think that that's probably viable here. I think the dolphins are a little volatile, but, uh, to your guys point, um, you know, the bills are for sure, clearly the best team in this division. Also, if you kind of want to get a little bit, uh, you know, fishy here in some sense, like. FanDuel does offer you to parlay division winners. Uh, you know, if if you want to like, you know, throw in some like minus 700s, minus 800s, like clear cut winners, uh, that's something that, you know, could be worth it. But again, I think that with like parlaying futures, you know, you're really rolling the dice on no one getting injured. And I think that's kind of the biggest issue. So um, not something I would generally suggest, but, you know, if, if that if you really can't stomach the minus 185, but want to find a way to work that in, so that's an option. It's a Josh yeah. Allen injury away from getting really dicey. <laughs> I, I do. I will raise back to the receivers, which I think is important because you said, like you said, Noonan, they run a lot of 10 and a lot of 11. I'm a little bit concerned about their wide receiver depth. Jameson Crowder helps, but they're not as deep as they have been in the past, at least with proven guys. But I, I twist that a different way in fantasy. While everyone's talking about Gabe Davis, I think Stefan Diggs is the number one wide receiver in fantasy this year. It, when In games where... He hasn't had the full slate of Sanders and Beasley and Davis playing. His his pace is 132 catches for 1595 yards and 9.3 touchdowns in those games with Josh Allen. So I think 1600 yards for Diggs is back on the table, and I think he's getting a little bit overlooked with kind of having a, a slightly down year last. Love that call. I mean, one of my highest owned players in, in best ball so far. His prop actually opened up at, I think it was 1,100. Uh, another group steamed up to like 1,200. So it's still around 12, over under 1,200. And I think, you know, yeah, great pick in fantasy too. I, he just wasn't scoring a ton of touchdowns, like was very consistent in terms of points, but like wasn't having those spike weeks that we were hoping for and that like people kind of, you know, really love. And so now he's going like early to mid second round in most fantasy leagues. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a pretty good buy spot for me. Yeah, I, I think that's variance rather than the role that he plays. I was watching some tape, and even against the Jets in the last week of the season, he had two touchdowns where his foot was just on the white out of bounds, and so it got overturned and he didn't score. And so when he's that heavily involved in the red zone, he's going to get those touchdowns in such a high-powered offense, so I'm not worried about the, the slight dip. 
Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Also, we have a, a note here from listener Ron Marmolevsky. Seventy percent win of the division implies minus two thirty three, and we're getting minus one eighty five. So, I think that all of us would probably have it closer to seventy percent than the current price. So, that's a that's a good look there, Ron. Yeah, I think my only concern with this team is in the secondary if Tre'Davious White starts on pop. And again, that's probably nothing because then he'll probably he'll be back, you know, week seven moving forward. They're just going to need, you know, Kyrie Elam, who they drafted in the first round, to kind of come in and play an immediate role. I was surprised how much they sustained that success uh, last year when he went down. They do have, you know, great, you know, great safeties, but like. They just there wasn't a lot of depth there, and that would be the only thing that would concern me. And again, this is literally just trying to find any hole to poke into probably one of the best rosters in the league. So we can turn the page and move on to the next team, Connors Dolphins. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be Connors Dolphins again this year. They were definitely Connors Dolphins last year. Uh, they are 40 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. They are 20 to 1 to win the AFC. Eight and a half is the number for their win total. Just a little bit to the over on MGM. Uh, you can get an under plus money on FanDuel, and they are plus 450 um, to win this division. They are middle of the pack from a strength of schedule standpoint. They do have a slight rest advantage, uh, plus five. A new coaching staff, obviously, we have a new head coach with Mike McDaniel coming over from San Fran. Uh, he will be the play caller here. We have Frank Smith as the OC in title. A play caller, first time really for Mike McDaniel. He was not obviously the play caller with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Josh Boyer staying on as the defensive coordinator was kind of digging and looking around for some stuff today on, on Boyer and found actually that apparently there's some reports that the locker room is not thrilled that Boyer is staying on as the defensive coordinator. Again, you know, Brian Flores was the head coach, had a lot to do with the defense there. We'll see how that kind of works out with a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Um, interesting to see how much of the like, Shanahan ethos Connor comes over to Miami with McDaniel here, but it seems to be a, a guy that people are excited about. But I think really, as we know, this kind of really rests on the shoulders of Tua. Uh, kick it off with your Dolphins. <laughs> of course, Sal comes ready. Uh, amazing. So, yeah, I think you mentioned it. They obviously made some amazing additions in the offseason. They added uh, Tyreek Hill from the Chiefs. They added Teron Armstead. Uh, you know, their offensive line projects to be better, like one of the league worst last year. But I think better is kind of, you know, relative. So, you know, I expect them. And in most rankings here, we're still looking in kind of like the 20 to 25 range in terms of their ranking by PFF, by 4 for 4. Um, whereas, you know, I think some people are expecting them to kind of like vault into the top 15 range. I think that might be a little bit too aggressive. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I think that a lot of what Mike McDaniel is going to bring is going to kind of help mitigate some of the offensive line issues with a lot of play action, you know, some some zone uh, running here, which I think should be able to, you know, kind of help catapult them, I guess, up in the tiers of offensive line. They also, you know, signed Raheem Mostert, signed my guy Chase Edmonds, signed Sony Michelle, like guys who fit there. Uh, and so I think that what we're going to see is just like entirely different than what we've seen from this Dolphins offense before. We're going to see just a ton of crossers, ton of like short plays, getting guys into space. And when you add a guy like Tyreek Hill, like, you know, I'm reluctant to say how much a wide receiver really adds to a team in terms of like value, in terms of wins, in terms of like, you know, how much it moves the line on a week to week basis. I know Noon and I for the past few years have gone back and forth on that in some instances, but I feel like a guy like Tyreek, is truly someone that can not only take the top off of defenses, but separate in the middle of the field, separate on the type of routes that they're going to want him to run. Uh, and so I just think he's a perfect fit here for this offense. So I, I'm, I'm excited about the offense. I think that it could be 
fun. It could be, you know, exciting and it might take a week or two to kind of settle in. But I really think that this, this Dolphins team, if they can get things clicking on offense can be, you know, like a fringe top five unit. And that is something that, uh, you guys might laugh at and might think is crazy given the offensive line. Uh, but you know, again, if they're able to mitigate some of those issues, I, I really think that they could be in a good spot to succeed given their weapons. What do you mean by top five unit, like top five offense? Clark. You can you can clip that. You can clip that. I, I'm, I'll stand by it. I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> I, I agree with Connor that the Dolphins have improved. Um, Tyreek Hill is material, and I I think of teams as systems, and so every piece has the relative importance that that system uh, is like I guess contextualized to the system. And so a quarterback like Tua is not a Mahomes like quarterback who can create plays with his legs and and just keep plays alive and then make these miracles downfield. Tua needs things to be in context. He needs he needs the routes to be open and he can hit them. He's got that accuracy. He's got that really soft touch. And so quarterbacks like Tua are greatly benefited by their top two receiving weapons because it's typically one, two reads. If those reads are working, great. If they're not, it's it's over. And so I think Tyree Kill is a massive addition to this offense that can make a significant impact because with Hill and Waddle, they've now got those two receivers. Think of the way Kirk Cousins succeeds in Minnesota. It's having those two stud receivers that he can rely on. It doesn't really matter who else is there, right? So I think that's good. The problem is last year, the Dolphins, by my effectiveness ratings, were like a five or six win team. They they were a nine and seven team that should not have been nine and seven. Every single one of their wins, so so they beat the Patriots twice. In those two games, they got outgained by 200 yards and over 1.2 yards per play, but lost because of random fumbles and things like that. They did beat the Ravens coming on a Thursday night, coming off a late overtime game against Minnesota. Valid win, although the Ravens were tired, whatever. Other than that, they beat I've got it written down here. Tyrod Taylor, Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, Cam Newton, Mike Glennon, and Ian Book. And we're not we're not talking about, you know, well, they they beat the Lions. You know, the Lions are still an NFL team. Most of these quarterbacks are not starting NFL quarterbacks or even backup NFL quarterbacks in some cases. And so I think and the Dolphins didn't get any lucky or unlucky losses. So they won every game they possibly could have, won a few lucky ones, and didn't lose any unlucky ones. So I think they could massively improve and still be a nine-win team, and that's kind of how I'm looking at them heading into the season. Yeah, the uh, according to Football Outsiders, they uh, they had the Dolphins' defense finished tenth in defensive DVOA on the season. If you remove the Ian Book game, they are seventeenth. That's how bad that Ian Book game was. Um, it was kind of a, again they had those streaks like they lost all those games in a row and then they won all those games. And really, outside of that one on short rest against uh, the Ravens. It was really just kind of um, a mess. So, yes, this is a very different team, different staff, different everything. And, again, it go, all goes back to Tua. Um, like, they were very conservative with him. And I do think that he is – I'm not an anti-Tua guy. Like, I think that there's talent there. But it seemed like yeah, – you really, better watch out. Tua and is going to get you. If, you. if you look at some of the stuff that they did last year, outside of, like, non-RPO plays, where they ran a lot of those last year, they averaged less than five yards per play which is the second lowest mark in the league. Now, again, maybe they still run some of those. Maybe they can run some RPOs or some, some motion or some stuff off of the stretch zone stuff that they could do with the running backs that they've added, which is significantly better than anything that they had in the room last year. So kudos to them for, for doing those things. And obviously, Terran Armstead is a massive upgrade too if he can stay healthy, getting a little older. But if he can stay healthy, 
great as well. So we go back to some of the same problems we had last year, Connor, is that the defensive stuff continues to feel unsustainable as far as third down success rate, as far as turnover luck. And yes, I think that there are times where it's inarguable that pressure and they're a good pressure team. And then they added Melvin Ingram. Um, you know, they've drafted well from a pressure standpoint in the last handful of years that can create some of the luck, but at the same time, there's just fumble recovery luck and interception luck. That's just historically has regressed and stabilized to a rate very different than what Miami's experienced over the last couple of years. They've been on the very lucky side on some of those metrics. And I feel like that will kind of bounce back. So I'm kind of with Clark. Like I feel like eight and a half is kind of probably the right number. I'd probably lean under, but I think this is an eight to nine win football team. I don't think this is a football team that's ascending into 10 to 11 wins unless Tua takes this massive step, uh, unless Byron Jones goes back to who he was in Dallas, which has not been the case whatsoever um, outside of Zayman Howard. Like he's been a real question mark. So I have questions about the sustainability of the defense, apparently a defensive coordinator that they don't love. And it's really all about Tua. So, yeah. No, I mean, that's that's fair. And you guys bring up some good points. And that's, I guess, kind of the reason that I didn't lead with, oh, this team is like the easiest bet on the board at over eight and a half. Because if I think that, you know, they have an offense that I think will be top 10 and could be top five, potentially, if everything goes well, um, you know, like that would obviously be an, an auto smash here. But at the oh, same time, trading to it for Josh Allen. Is that what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still I'm still a two stand deep down. I mean, I, there were some rough times last year. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. But at the end of the day, I, I was not a fan of the weapons. I think Devontae Parker sucks just in general. He was injured after the season anyways. Uh, yeah, sorry. We'll, we'll get to him next. The dude can't <laughs> separate for his life. Um, but <laughs> without those contested catches, Tua was in trouble last year. So. Yeah, because Waddle was the only one getting open within the first 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, you know? Otherwise, he's just, like, throwing one tight tight coverage to Gusecki. And regardless, I just think we're going to see a massively different team here. I think we're going to see uh, – I'm buying the, the Shanahan-like system here. I mean, Shanahan has made the most out of guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, made the most out of guys like um, – who, who, who is the one like basically every bum quarterback they've rolled out has been like seven yards per attempt or higher for the last like five years. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm just buying that Tua is at least as good as those guys, plus has better weapons than what they've had for most of the time during Shannon's tenure. And so I, I'm expecting a massive uptick in offense. And I think that the way to play this probably is to maybe potentially bet some overs, but at the end of the day, like, I mean, they were 29th in adjusted pace last year um, with my, with like where they're at, they're going to run the ball a lot. Um, as long as the offensive line can be like competent, at least like reasonably. So I don't know. I think it's kind of a wait and see approach for me, but I, I do want to get on record that I think that they are an interesting offense for sure. Yeah. We know that Tua can throw accurately. The problem is most of those throws because of the system he's been in for the last two years have been on stop routes, screens, crosses, really easy reads where as long as he can throw the ball to a place accurately, it's going to be fine. What I haven't seen from him is throw receivers open in terms of like, you know, reading the routes where, where the gaps are going to open up on defense and putting it there so the receiver can go get it. And maybe that's because of the lack of separation by Devontae Parker, like you were saying. Maybe it's because Tua doesn't have that level of mental game. Maybe he does, and we, he just needed the better receivers. And, and I do think the Dolphins are a highly volatile team. I, even though I project them for like seven wins, I haven't bet they're under because I recognize that there's just so many unknowns, and they do have a high ceiling. 
if I'm wrong about Tua, if, if like you said, the Shanahan offense opens up opportunities for him to throw accurately to Tyreek Hill streaking, Jalen Waddle streak, you know, th- there's room for improvement here. And, and I'm afraid of that. So, so I'm not firing away on it. Yeah, I don't think you can doubt like the speed addition, right? When you think about who was in that locker room last year with Miles Gaskin, Malcolm Brown, Salvin Ahmed getting a ton of touches. And now we have Mostert and Tyreek, Jalen Waddle, you know, Connor, your your Chase Edmonds. Like there's just such a different dynamic of these guys when they get the ball in their hands to make plays. So it's just interesting. He t- Tua saw, saw a lot of man as well. Um, the teams played that at like the second highest rate against him compared to anyone else in the league. And they still barely took any shots deep. You typically see more deep shots against man than you do against zone. So again, I don't know if that's just because they didn't want to, because, you know, Connor's argument is that it was Devonte Parker based. We're going to wait and see. It's going to play itself out. Um, I could guard Devonte Parker and man, bro. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I do want to add one last thing here before we go on. It's something that I tweeted, but it's something that I, I kind of dug up about Chase Edmonds here. So um, last year, the 49ers were like among the league leaders in zone running blocking plays or zone blocking on run plays. Uh, and last season, Chase Edmonds ranked first in EPA on zone blocking run plays and first in yards per carry, uh, averaging 5.8 yards per carry in zone blocking. Uh, and he is going to have a lot of the pass catching work, has shown explosiveness throughout his time in Arizona. Uh, and now comes over here where if the offense is as good as we think, or at least <laughs> as good as I think, uh, he, he could be, uh, you know, in for a big season. So that, that, that is something I will say about Edmonds. There are no Edmonds props right now, but just something to look for in season. If we can catch some low ones, you know, off in week one or two. I'm pro Edmonds. So I will say that the schedule from a whole is not uh, super difficult, but you look at kind of the stretch at the end, very, very tough. 13, 14, 15, three straight on the road. Two on the West Coast, San Francisco and L.A. against the Chargers, and then at Buffalo. It's really tough at the end of the season. And they come home to host Green Bay and then travel to New England in Week 17, which is going to be really cold. So that's a really tough stretch at the end of the year. They're going to have to get fat early in the schedule. So, all right, we'll move on to the next team in the division, New England Patriots. They are just a little bit behind Miami, basically, in everything from a betting standpoint. They are 50-1 to to win the Super Bowl, 25-1 to to win the AFC same total, eight and a half, though the uh, juice is pretty flat for the most part, depending on the book. And they are five to one here to win the division. Strength of schedule is much more difficult. Uh, they have like the seventh hardest, eighth hardest, depending on where you're looking. Um, from a rest standpoint, only Green Bay has a worst rest advantage uh, that is very similar to what they had last year. Actually, they had 14-day rest disadvantage last year. They play three straight – I'm sorry, three short road – games this year that's most of where that 10 days is coming from so i think all things considered i think 2021 went about as well as anyone could have expected i think mac jones was pretty solid we have a a fairly i think below average group of pass catchers for new england um but they were actually fairly good playmakers for the most part most metrics this is a top 10 offense um dvoa epa per play you know rush epa all those things offensive line played well they ran it well but now we have a different offensive coordinator i actually don't even know who the offensive coordinator is we have joe judge who's an offensive assistant and then we have matt patricia these are two failed former patriots who have gone on to not have success as a head coach who weren't part of the offensive game plan the last time they were in new england are now part apparently of maybe calling plays 
on Sunday, which is going to be very, very interesting. Of course, we never get any information out of New England, but someone's going to call plays. Not ideal for a second-year quarterback, but uh, Clark, I'll let you get started. Talk to me about the Pats. All right. I I am fading the Pats hard this year, and I know I'm going against Belichick. Never do that. But I'm doing it because last year, like you said, everything went right, and they got significantly worse in an offseason where pretty much every relevant AFC team got noticeably better. Everyone in their division got better. The Broncos, Chargers got better. The Bengals got better. The Ravens got healthy. And they took steps backward actively. And so they lost two offensive linemen and their offensive coordinator. And last year, their offense, I had them as the number seven ranked offense in my effectiveness ratings. That's really, really good. But it was all built on winning the offensive line battles and running the ball well. And Mac Jones played really well to his credit. This is not a criticism of Mac Jones, but everything was set up for him to succeed. There was never too much pressure on him. You know, the passes he was asked to make were fairly simple. The reads were fairly simple. It was a high functioning offense when they were in control. And as a result, you know, their, their, their point differential in the season was plus 159 but 119 of those came in three games where they just ran up the score because everything was clicking. And what I worry about is what, with those offensive linemen down and a, a, you know, who knows who's calling the plays. If that, if that offensive regression happens, it's going to force Mac Jones into more negative situations. And we haven't seen Mac Jones succeed in those negative situations very often. And so I have a little bit of concern about that. And on the other side of the ball, they capitalized against a very easy schedule of opposing offenses, particularly quarterbacks, particularly inexperienced quarterbacks. And we know that Bill Belichick is at his best when he's, you know, outmaneuvering an inexperienced quarterback. That's his, that's his MO on defense. And he had rookie after rookie last year and, and did really well this year. I don't see a lot of bad quarterbacks on the schedule. You know, if, if Pittsburgh benches Trubisky, you know, maybe they face Kenny Pickett and he can capitalize against him. But other than that, it's a much more favorable schedule of opposing quarterbacks. Justin Fields is on there too. So, you know, he, he could win that one pretty easily, but I think we're going to see regression from defense, which again, is going to feed back into that loop of negative feedback where the offense is going to be in more passing situations, more obvious passing situations. And I'm just seeing this being kind of a, kind of a spiral downhill where they regress on both sides and just struggle to, to establish themselves as a, as a playoff caliber team. Hard to argue with any of those points, Connor. What do you think? Yeah. I, I, there are still some people who believe in the offensive line, which is interesting to me. So, uh, you know, Ben Baldwin using PFF grades projects him to be top 10, uh, seventh and our offensive line guy has him eighth. Um, I think that's a little bit, a little bit rich, but it's some like, you know, it's still a step back from last season. Um, I just think it's a little bit too much for me for a lot of the reasons you brought up here. I am concerned about, uh, Joe judge, uh, potentially calling plays here on, uh, Mike Lombardi's podcast. They, uh, he said that, he for sure Joe Judge is calling plays according to him. I mean, obviously Lombardi is wrong all the time about plenty of things. It's pretty plugged but, into New England, but right, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, this is something that I think that we can probably take his word for. And a Joe Judge-led offense is not one that I am super interested in. Uh, and beyond that, too, I know people have talked. I guess I don't know. I think it's mostly fantasy people dreaming about them, you know, opening the offense up and like letting Mac Jones like do what he did in Alabama and like kind of like you know sling the ball around. And I think that that is. Kind of a pipe dream, to be honest. You have Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker. Like, those are not guys that are going to consistently separate. I mean, outside of maybe Jacoby Myers and occasionally Kendrick Bourne. Uh, I just don't think they have the personnel to do so. They don't have the weaponry to do so. And 
like they're probably going to have to do that. Uh, it's Clark's point there. If they're having to, you know, play, play some catch up here. So yeah, I'm out of the Patriots. I'm not sure it's enough to bet the under on eight and a half, but I feel like if we were not so supremely confident that Bill Belichick could make a difference on a week to week basis, like this would be an easy under, you know, like this would be, this line would be seven and a half or maybe even seven based on kind of like the roster and what they have now. Like, I guess I, 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 we know he makes a difference. So, you know, that's kind of the issue. And that's something that I struggle to bet against. But at the same time, I think the under here is a pretty good lean. Yeah. So I think the offensive line is still okay. But again, you're losing Shaq Mason and you're losing Ted Karras. Like, so that, that depth is something that they've been, it's been really kind of the underrated hallmark of like the last 25 years of success is not just the strong offensive line, but like depth when you lose someone, which is inevitable along the offensive line. And they just don't have it right now. They have, you know, Cole Strange, who everyone thought was a reach. I don't have any doubt that was probably both a reach and that he's also going to be an effective NFL player in the system. Um, but again, like when he goes down or someone goes down, that's where the problem is. And then they also didn't the, – the problem also defensively, they didn't replace J.C. Jackson, who was fantastic last year. They brought Malcolm Butler out of retirement, who wasn't even playing. Malcolm Butler is in line basically to start. Um, that's not great. And then we also have Terrence Mitchell, who's bounced around all over. He was in Houston. He was like 77th in PFF's coverage grade last year. Uh, he's going to be a key contributor. They drafted two very small Jones guys, Marcus and Jack, in the draft. Um, they're going to need to contribute. Um, it looks like you know one's going to be a special teamer and one's going to be you know kind of thrown into the role. And they play a lot of man over the last handful of years. And you can do that when you have a JC Jackson. And when you've had some of the, you know, alphas with Gilmore or, you know, going back to, you know, Revis and, you know, way back, they've just always had kind of a guy, you know, that they could put out there at Ty Law to kind of lock down and it gives Belichick the ability to kind of scheme differently. And now they're going to be forced into more zone than ever. They played more zone last year than they have in a very long time. And I think with you look at kind of the depth that they have at safety, they're probably going to be forced to play, a lot of zones. Sometimes that's going to be guys close to the line. Like they'll still be multiple. They just don't have the talent on the outside that they've had over the last few years that allows them to do a lot of stuff too. So they have a decent solid up front, um, you know, decent pass rush, but nothing that's a world beater, nothing that matches some of the teams in the AFC West. Like we were talking about, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, they just are kind of a little bit worse across the board. And when you think maybe they outperformed some of the stuff we were expecting last year, it's hard not to think, that they stepped back. I still think that they very much could be the second team here in this division based off of obviously our dolphins discussions, but like that just means one of them wins eight and one of them wins nine and, or maybe they both win eight. Um, neither of them feels like a threat to the bills. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and the defensive problems are significant. I I'm a big fan of looking at how the team ends its season, because I think that tells you a lot about where the team was headed. And in their playoff game against the Bills, that was the highest graded offensive performance that I've ever recorded was what the Bills did to the Patriots in the playoffs. And that's not a good thing for your defense, no matter how good the opposing offense is. If if they walk up and down the field and score touchdowns on every drive, that's a problem. And then they'd lose J.C. Jackson. So that, there's a lot of pessimism on that side of the ball, too. Yep, it's not it's not going to be great. So we'll, we'll see. Um There'll be some opportunities schedule wise isn't great, as we talked about, like the rest thing's a problem. But. Yeah, the Dolphins, uh, they they gave each other the hard games. They put 
you know, New England and Miami early in September when it's still steaming hot. That's a game New England always loses. And then Miami has to travel to New England in week 17 when it's freezing cold. So that'll be uh, interesting and probably go a long ways to determining how this win total shakes out for these two clubs. All right, last is the Jets, 150 to one to win the Super Bowl, 85 to one to win the AFC. They are five and a half, uh, juice to the over uh, in most places. MGM at minus 155 looks like the best look for that. And they are 22 to one to win the division. Despite being a last place team, they still have a very difficult schedule, sixth, sixth most difficult in the league. And they also have a negative rest advantage as well. So similar to what we talked about with the Dolphins, it's really going to come down to Zach Wilson here. This is year two of Robert Sala and Wilson together. Um, looks like he spent some time experimenting in the offseason. Let's see if it's been on some tape or some new stuff. It was not great to see him be outplayed by Mike White at times last year. But again, it's hard not to think that the Jets improve the roster, Clark, um, but isn't enough for them to kind of take a next step and maybe flirt with the Dolphins or Pats. I think it is. I, I I spent probably like four hours today watching Jets film, um, just Zach Wilson film actually, and and mostly at the end of the year again. I like to look at how the how the team ends. And he ha he had kind of two seasons. You know, he had that first half of the season, and then he got injured, and then he came back and had that second half of the season. And I think, given the context, they played some really tough defenses down the stretch, other than the Jags, and they, he played most of those games without any decent wide receivers. He actually looked he actually looked like he had some some life to me. And the reason why I say that is because the skills that he showed on tape are the type of skills that I think lead to successful NFL careers. So for example, when he takes a snap, he keeps his eyes downfield. He 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 reads through his progressions. Even as a rookie, I was seeing him read progressions and he acts very quickly. He reacts very quickly to what he sees. So when he reads his progressions and finds the second or third progression is is open, He's throwing the ball already. It's very quick. And I really like those things. And those things are really important to building a successful quarterback. And <laughs> thanks, Dan. Um, and outside of that, he has incredible uh, pocket escapability. Like he was he was making all kinds of plays on the run. You know, he, he's manipulating pass rushers by making them think he can get they can get a sack and then dodging them at the last second to create a few more seconds of time. And that's the kind of stuff that Mahomes does. And I'm not saying that Zach Wilson is Mahomes. I'm just saying he has those traits that can create opportunities and can lift the talent around him. Um, he needs to cut down on his mistakes. And so that's the thing that can improve. He also needs to learn how to read blitzes better and how to lead, read different coverages and different pressures. Those are two things that quarterbacks can learn over their time in the NFL. Whereas those first things are either you have them or you don't have them. So I think he has the right type of skill set to take a big step forward. They added weapons. Elijah Moore is coming back healthy. I'm a little bit concerned about the defense. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I think their offense is going to have some life. And I think they're going to be competitive in most of their games this year. Well, other than Baltimore, who had like a historic adjusted games loss, according to Football Outsiders, uh, the Jets were second in that mark. They lost key contributors on both sides of the ball. So if they can stay healthy, that will help them too. And obviously everyone loved the draft that they have when you have three first-round picks, you know, kind of hit on value with all of them and then take basically the best consensus running back in the draft early in the second round. You come out of that smelling like roses and everyone likes what they've done. So – uh, Connor, what are your thoughts here on uh, New York? Yeah, it's really tough because 
to your point, you know, they drafted Gary Wilson 10th overall. They obviously, they drafted Sauce Gardner fourth. They grabbed Jermaine Johnson in the draft. They also added Brees Hall. Uh, they still have Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. Like, I think that their, their offense here looks really good on paper. You know, their offensive line right now, 13th in PFF, 14th in our rankings. Uh, and like, as we mentioned, the weapons are all good. He has a good supporting cast. It really is just like almost entirely in my mind going to come down to Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson is taking a step forward or can't take a step forward, this team is, you know, maybe seven wins, six, seven, eight wins, you know, that, that seems like it's a reasonable in their range of outcomes. If he is not, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like they're still going to be like a three, four win team. Uh, and that's, I think that is kind of what it comes down to here, because if you look at some of the other metrics, so fourth least net rest, eighth toughest strength of schedule, they're favored in just three games right now. Um, but if you look at their implied wins in terms of like, not really as binary as, you know, favored or not favored, it is right around six. So, uh, and the market reflects that we're looking at a win total of five and a half tons of juice everywhere. Minus 155, minus 165, minus 175 at different shops. Uh, it seems like books are reluctant to move to six because uh, as of May, they were one actually the most bet over. So like right after the draft, after they crushed the draft, it seems like everyone, uh, you know, in New York uh, decided to go bet the over on the Jets. And so they ended up, you know, kind of being like a lot more juiced and being one of the heavily, most heavily bets. So I just think that sports books don't want the extra liability at six, uh, you know, and potentially getting some bets the other way and vice versa. So that's kind of why I think that. But I think if we get like if it ever does move to six, six and a half, I could be interested in an under at that price. But I think to, uh, you know, Clark's points here, like everything is set up for them to succeed. It's just a matter of, you know, whether you believe that Zach Wilson can. And I didn't go back and watch the Zach Wilson film. Just I have so many like, you know, memories of how bad he was that it was just like it felt like I didn't need to. But, you know, now that you're saying that there were some good things, uh, you know, maybe I should go back and uh, check some other things there. And and Ron makes a good point about their offensive line. I, I think, like you said, it's, it's highly rated by a lot of people. Um, but it still needs work. They still need work. And I think that's, you know, an issue. What was encouraging about Zach Wilson is, like I said, his escapability. What was discouraging was his inability to always read where the, where the pressure is coming from. So I think the offensive line will get better if Zach Wilson gets better at reading where the, where the pressure is coming from. Because offensive line performance, especially in pass blocking, is so heavily tied to quarterback play and quarterback decision making. So I think... Yes, the offensive line can improve, but yes, Wilson can also help the offensive line. And so that's one of the big things I'm looking for as far as Wilson taking a step forward. It's it's that kind of stuff that's going to make the whole team better. Um, yeah, but even, even with all my optimism, there's plenty of concerns. I'm not firing away on this team. Um, I think I think it's a lot of a, a lot of asking a lot out of young players, especially rookies. And so I think this is going to be kind of a team that might be worth backing later in the year if they maybe get off to a slow start and we start to see things on the field where things are clicking. They might be a, a real tough out late in the season. They might spoil someone's playoff run, you know, something like that. So, Yeah, they were 17th in pass block win rate last year. That's an uh, ESPN metric there uh, 27th against the you know uh, the runs so not a great run blocking team they added Lakeland Tomlinson basically the only addition they obviously can they can get Makai Becton and you know some of the other guys you know Elijah Vera Tucker in the draft last year these guys can stay healthy gain some continuity George Fance um, you know some of these guys that were injured and missed time last year that's going to go a long way in, in their success I still do think that it's probably a middle of the pack at best unit where there's some downside here there's not a lot of depth behind those guys but um 
I think the good, there's a good point on the end of the schedule. The, the schedule is really weird. They're actually their first four games are all against the AFC North. It's very strange. All four straight. Um, again, we just talked about them last week. Obviously, they're going to get, regardless of what happens with Deshaun Watson, they're probably going to get the Browns with Jacoby Brissett. Maybe everyone gets the Browns with Jacoby Brissett. But as we record this now, we don't know what's going on there. And then the Steelers, too. Obviously, we have questions there. But that's a tough draw to start the year. They got a middle stretch, too, where they go back-to-back weeks in the road against Green Bay and Denver and then play the division in a row. They go New England, Buffalo, at New England. So that's a really tough stretch. But then when you look at the very, very end, Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle, and then at Miami. Like Those are probably when we're talking about the other teams, those are winnable games on their schedules as well. So those are kind of, you know, from where we sit now, trying to forecast out six months. Those are definitely coin toss games. But again, that goes a very long way in trying to determine where New York, New York falls in this five and a half. So I have more questions than this fight being a, a juiced over. Um, I get the optimism. I get that it's, you know, a New York public team and there's, it's easy to kind of get some betting momentum on that, especially when you win the draft, like people think that they did. And again, like I think that they nailed the draft. We also have seen historically of these really top 10, like top 10 corners come into really bad situations and kind of underperform in the first year or two. Again, that is, doesn't really relate to anything that Sauce Gardner is going to have to do. But like I'm thinking about Jeff Fakuda just you know a couple of years ago in uh, in Detroit. Like they need him to kind of slide right in and be a key contributor. So I have questions on the Jets. I think it's probably lined pretty well, but I don't think that they get really close to uh, to that you know second or third seed in this division. Yeah, I also think that uh, you know I'm just like. While we, I think it's easy to project the the Dolphins, you know, offense getting like stronger due to the, you know, Mike McDaniel, San Francisco connection here, you know, Robert Sala also coming from San Francisco, like, uh, you know, with offensive coordinator here, Mike LaFleur, like he, he just like, wasn't as involved in, like offensively, you know, and obviously he's been in the Shanahan system pretty much since his, you know, inception essentially into the league, but it just seems like the same concepts were not all put together. Maybe that was just, you know, personnel issues. Maybe that was, you know, had a lot to do with that. And that's very fair as well. And to your guys' point, yeah, the offensive line is probably a lot of projection here. Um, beyond that, though, I think that there, there are some points here that we need to make about some Jets players in fantasy. Um, and just like in general, if you're going to be betting on these guys, um, Brees Hall going in the third round right now in fantasy drafts, I think that is just outrageous. Um He's going to be splitting time with Michael Carter. The offensive line, as you mentioned, is is you know volatile at best. This offense might still stink if Zach Wilson is not good. So you're looking at a guy who is losing passing work to Michael Carter. Is probably going to have minimal touchdown upside and is going to be playing behind uh, you know middling offensive line and potentially worse uh, if they don't pan out. Uh, for me, I just think that that is, I mean, arguably one of the worst third round picks right now in all of fantasy. Um, and the ups, you can sell yourself in the upside case where all of that stuff is wrong. And in fact, everything does go right. But, uh, I mean, I could not be more out on, on Brees Hall, despite the talent you're literally right now, I think taking Brees Hall in fantasy drafts, betting on Brees Hall at all, any props, I'll probably take an under on in week one, to be honest, is just a bet on profile. Like you're just purely betting on talent, which is fine, but it seems like it ignores the context of everything else. I think you can make that same case with the receivers because I think there's an immense amount of talent there, but that gets a little bit convoluted, especially when we're talking about all the success really being tied to Zach Wilson. So, like, yeah, Elijah Moore is tremendously talented. And, you know, Garrett Wilson grabbing him in the top 10 
you know, adds another weapon. And I think, you know, we have Corey Davis was the top five pick in the draft a handful of years ago and looked decent at times over the last couple of years, but they had a couple of pass catching tight ends and free agency with uh, Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzoma. Like, again, they're probably not eating a ton away. They're probably more cannibalizing each other, but that gets really dicey when you're trying to make bets in fantasy or, you know, overs in the prop market. So I'll be interested to see if there are any, I don't think there are any Jets numbers hung yet, but it'd be interesting to see what those look like. Well, I believe in Zach Wilson, so I believe in Elijah Moore. Uh, but I think your point on Brees Hall is is right on. Uh, Michael Carter is too good to to just shove off the field. I mean, he was he was great as a rookie. So uh, I don't you know I don't know how good Brees Hall is. We'll see. But I just don't see how they just don't play Michael Carter after the way that he played last year. Um, and then I do have one last point about about the Jets. A lot of people talk about uh, the Chargers and Brandon Staley's aggressiveness on fourth down and how that's been helping Justin Herbert. The Jets were pretty aggressive on fourth down, especially late in the year. And Zach Wilson showed, I, I don't know, poise is, is kind of like a hard thing to measure. Like we're big data analytics guys, and so it's like hard to talk about. But he, I mean, the things he was able to do in high leverage situations, like keep his cool, keep his eyes downfield, shake off the pressure, those were the kinds of things in big spots that like, you know, quarterbacks, when they just kind of have that next level mental game, it, it, it like shows on the field. And, you know, <laughs> the news this week is about how he was, you know, with with his his ex-girlfriend's or his mom's friend or something. And like, you can laugh it off. Maybe it's not even true. Like, who knows what that is? But like his level of like being cool is a real thing for a quarterback on an NFL field. Like how you how you handle pressure is directly related to like other aspects of your life. I mean, and, and you know, you don't want to get too far into like judging people for what they do off the field. But what I see on the field is a guy who has the mental capacity to take high pressure situations, perform at a high level. And I think that's going to serve him well once the pieces around him come together. That may not be this year, but I think in the future. You love to see the young kids surround himself with a veteran off the fields, just kind of build into it. Uh, you know, hey, everyone has a different approach, and maybe this works for for Zach Wilson. Who knows? A more experienced teacher he can learn yeah. from. Yes, you know, he tried rookie year. You know, with someone in his class, and it just didn't work. And he needed to see a different side of life, different set of experiences, and uh, you know, go Cougars. Oh Lord! <laughs> All right, gentlemen, we're going to close with our favorite bet. In this division, uh, Connor, I will kick it to you first. What's the best thing that we can bet right now in the AFC East? Man, this is uh, honestly, I haven't bet anything. Um, but you know, the more that we like just transparently, I haven't bet anything. I think that, uh, when it comes out though, Dolphins over on total points, they will they'll release that market probably in a couple weeks here, like over under points. Uh, we got I got over on the Cowboys last year and I did land Cowboys to score the most points in the league. Um, so I've, I've, you know, I have a decent track record of those, but at the same time, you know, obviously we're talking about a different animal here with, uh, you know, two and on and my dolphins. So, uh, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll pencil that in, but I do think that, uh, bills minus minus one eighty five to win the division is also a solid book. What do you got Clark? I think for me, it's, it's the under eight and a half wins for the Patriots. Uh, if you have access to Caesars, it's currently plus plus one ten on under eight, eight point five wins. And I think that's, I think that's more likely than not. So getting plus money on that bet is good value. I, I think it's fairly significantly more likely than not, but um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, so yeah, 
fade, fade the Patriots. All right, I am. Uh, man, I agree with Connor. I think that just laying the juice and maybe you know going a couple units on the Bills to win this division makes the most sense, especially being under under minus two hundred. I think is probably the best way to get it before that maybe climbs. Um, second best would be plus money on the Dolphins under eight. Uh, just a just a fade. Such Connor. a hater. Such a hater. Uh, but also plus money, plus one fifteen on Fanduel. So again, I yeah, think there's fine. some variance on the defensive side, and we talked about you know the questions around. Two in the offense, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think if they're going to play slow and uh, with a really low pass rate over expectation, like McDaniel did in San Francisco, I don't think that that helps that much either. So wait and see. It is definitely the Bills' division to lose. If Josh Allen plays seventeen games, it is going to be very difficult to see a scenario, even if they have catastrophic injuries elsewhere, um, to to see the Bills not win this division. So good stuff, Clark. We're going to have to do this again. Connor's going, you know, he's getting married and then he's going on a honeymoon. So we're going to have to do this again with me, you and Daigle for a couple of weeks, probably. So I don't want to sign you up ahead of time, but I think we're going to have to do that. (laughs) No, I'd love to. I'd love to. Congrats, Connor. Have fun. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, I will be, I'll be out of the office here. uh, You know, I don't know when, but I think the next couple of weeks, I think, I think I'm good for next week's show. We'll be here next week, right? Yeah. yeah, The two weeks after I, I will be out. Good stuff. Exciting times for Connor. Uh, Clark, tell everyone they where they can find your stuff. Yeah, so you can find me at Sharp Clark NFL on Twitter. Uh, that's probably where some of you came from. Um, and then, yeah, my, my link uh, is in, in my bio. I have a website, which is mostly just going to point you to 4 for 4 um, at this point, because that's where I'll be posting my picks uh, in the Discord for 4 for 4. Um, but yeah, I, I post you know against the spread plays every week, and, and hopefully we're going to have a good year. And have a great year. Have a tracker on the site on 444. We can find everything that, that uh, Clark has posted to date. And it, it's fantastic. Like I said, uh, I think you will, um, even if you don't necessarily feel like tailing the side or, or agree with it, I think you'll get smarter by reading his stuff. And that's really, I think, our job here as football guys is to not just give you the picks. We really want to help you, uh, you know, that whole like teach a man to fish process, understand kind of what we're looking for when we're handicapping these games. And I think Clark you know, fits all that we want to do here at 4 for 4 So super stoked to have him on board. So uh, continue to watch Connor farming in the social streets. And uh, for Connor and Clark, I'm Ryan. We'll see you next week.